to hear an anointed, powerful word that will change your life from Treasure Coast Victory Center. Be blessed as your faith goes from one level of glory to another level of glory. Open your Bibles, go to Genesis chapter 1. Father, I thank you again for your word tonight. I thank you for opening the eyes of us that we may see, we may understand, we may learn, we may put into action what you're teaching us, what you're showing us. Father, we thank you for kingdom people and a kingdom church. I thank you for revelation that comes easy tonight. I thank you that your spirit knows exactly where to go, what to do. And I give you praise and glory for what you're going to do tonight in Jesus' name. And everybody said, All right, Genesis chapter 1. Look at verse 26. It says, And God said, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Verse 27, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Now look at verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was what? Very good. Very good. Praise God. So notice, here's what God created. We find out that everything that God created was good. Uh, we learned last week that the devil was created by God, but actually Lucifer, and then the devil fell because he rebelled against heaven. So in the very beginning, when God created man, basically at that time, there was no, was no sickness, was no disease, wasn't everything. Everything God created was good, and everything he saw was good. But we found out then Satan came, who is the deceiver. He caused Adam and Eve to disobey God and to doubt his word. They sinned against God and yielded themselves to the authority of Satan. And through that came the curse into the world. And the curse, of course, is made up of sickness. It's made up of disease. It's made up of all those things that nobody wants. Satan is the author of sickness and disease and pain. And God is the author of life, health, and peace. Before I learned this stuff, basically, and I was in a Christian church, I was just told that everything comes your way, basically, it's of God, of the devil. Nobody really clarified which was which. Until you understand spiritually what is of God and what's of the devil, you're not going to live in victory because you do not know what to resist and what to go ahead and accept. We've already found out God is a spirit. You are a spirit being. Angels are spirit beings. The devil is a spirit being. And demons are spirit beings. So once I found out and heard that sickness and disease came from the devil, that worry came from the devil, that fear came from the devil, I immediately started resisting those things of the devil. Now, how many know you can't see the devil speaking to you in your ear, but you can certainly hear his voice? Whenever you deal with a demon, 99% of the time you're not going to see that demon, so he comes to you by thought life, trying to attack your thought life to get you to accept thoughts that are from him and not from God himself. All right, just look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, has God said, You shall not eat of every tree in the garden. This has been Satan's way of attacking the church and people forever, and he continues to do it. It's simply a couple words here, has God said. Say, has God said. The devil comes to challenge everything that God tells you, everything in the Word of God that you read, everything that you see. He comes and basically says, has God said. Now the devil has an advantage simply because we're living in a natural realm, and whatever the devil tells you, most of the time you can see. 
when he tells you you're sick, how many know you can see the pain? You may see the lump. You may see this. And when God speaks, you're healed. How many know you can't see that? So basically, it's a spiritual thing that you have to see in the spirit realm. So once again, spirit fighting against the natural realm, but basically a spirit against spirit because the devil is also a spirit being. So has God said. Notice what the temptation was. If you eat off the tree, you will be just like God. How many of you know that they were already just like God? And now look, that hasn't changed at all. You get born again, you get in the church, somebody comes up and says, you're anointed. And you say, oh, no, I ain't anointed. Pastor's anointed, and Sister Susie's anointed, and this one's anointed. But I sure ain't anointed. And you say, well, God says you're anointed. Well, I'm certainly not. I don't feel anointed. I don't have a goosebump. Basically, that's the devil saying, has God said you're anointed? Has he really said you're anointed? Has he said you're healed? Did he really say you're blessed? Has he really said that you can walk in peace? And has he really told you? That's the same thing that comes. And a lot of the, the problems that people have, basically, whether it's rejection or anything else, comes from unbelief. If you're in belief, you're not in rejection. See? So as you're walking around in unbelief in all these things, basically, you're opening the door up to evil spirits who can come in and they can taunt you, they can get into your life, basically, because they are looking to have an influence here in the spirit realm. So the main battle that you have is right there between your ears... What comes to you in that still small voice, lining up with some of the thoughts that you haven't changed yet. So once again, the enemy comes, and once again, it is a spiritual battle. Say spiritual battle. There was a Christian leader one time who said that no great spiritual awakening will ever come to the nation until first the church has learned to discern devils and to cast them out. Now, how many of you know back in the Old Testament, and really sometimes it gets me, because back in Jesus' day, People brought their children, like the Syrophoenician woman, and she said, here's my daughter. She didn't say she doesn't act right, didn't say that she's sick, doesn't say that she doesn't perform right. She said, she's got a devil. And, and you very seldom see somebody walk in the doctor's office this day and age and say, hey, here's my son. He got a devil. Why is that? Because devils and demons, basically, and we think, you know, it's funny and everything, but listen, did the demons and devils leave? No, they're still here. And a lot of the things that are being caused right now have been given other names, and we give them other names, but back then they understood, which surprises me, never taught, they understood that their person had a demon problem. The one boy who the disciples couldn't heal. His father said, a demon's got him, throws him in the lake, throws him in the fire, does this, tries to drown him, tries to kill him. He said, he's got a devil, but in this day and age, you never hear someone say, hey, my kid's got a devil. Hey, I've got a devil. Hey, you got a devil. Why is that? Because the devil has camouflaged everything, and we've got plenty of names out there. Most of them I can't even pronounce, and plenty of drugs to go with them. Most of them I can't pronounce either, but they're out there. But you've got to understand that there are demon spirits out there who are influencing people in their thought life to have physical problems, basically. And the only way they're going to get free is not by the drug that you need a drug for to make up for that drug that you need a drug for that for to make up for the other two drugs. Basically, it's a spiritual problem that we have to deal with as born-again kingdom citizens. All right, go to Luke chapter 10. All right, I want to look at demon spirits tonight, but before I do, look at Luke chapter 10, verse 19. Jesus says, Behold, I give you authority, that word is authority or power, to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you, notwithstanding in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written where? 
in heaven. So here's Jesus talking. I want you to understand tonight as we talk about demons over the next couple of weeks that they have no authority over you whatsoever. Whatever Hollywood has shown you, whatever you've studied, whatever you read, you have authority if you're born again and spirit-filled over every demonic spirit there. You have authority over sin. You have authority over worry. You have authority over sickness. You have authority over fear. In order to preach and witness to other people, you're going to have to understand that you have authority over all the power, not some of it, but all the power of the enemy. So every believer has a right to resist sin, resist the devil, because Jesus gave you that power and authority the day that you got born again. Okay, go to John chapter 10. The Old Testament, you don't hear much about demons, but then when Jesus came, he started pulling the wraps off of the devil, telling people who he was, what he could do. John chapter 10, look at verse 10. Jesus says, the thief comes not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I've come that they may have life, and that they may have it more what? Abundantly. So notice the thief, Satan, and his demons come for what reason? They come to steal, they come to kill, and they come to destroy. That means that demons basically long to express themselves in the natural realm. They are wicked, they are hateful, they are destructive, and they long to basically get expression through a physical body here in the earth, basically through a person. So Jesus comes, makes a dividing line, doesn't he? He says, here's what I am. I'm life and life more abundantly. I'm a good God. And the devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy. They're as far away as the east is from the west, for goodness sakes. You cannot overlap the devil and God in situations and circumstance. If it's good, then it's God. If it's bad, then it's the devil. So the word gives us a clear separation of God and the devil. They are not in business together. They have nothing in common. The devil is not used to fulfill God's divine purpose in your life. God is a good God. God is into life in every single area of your life. The devil is an evil devil. The devil is into death, and he is into destructions. Now, demons are not a negative force, for to say. They're not bad luck. They're not basically an evil influence. They are real spiritual beings. Say demons. Are real spiritual beings. How many know that angels are real spiritual beings? How many of you know they probably look nothing like any of the pictures that you've ever seen so far? Angels are different than that, but they are spiritual beings and they are part of God's plan and God's purpose for your life and the life of others. One of the greatest devil's greatest achievements basically is to confuse mankind over what is God and what is the devil. And I mean, I've been with pastors who say that their brother was struck by lightning it's out by the swimming pool and God was just trying to get their attention and teach them to do something. And let me tell you, God is not striking anybody with lightning. If you're outside in a storm and it hits you, it's because you shouldn't have been outside, number one. Praise God. Come on now. There is some common sense in the world yet, I hope. I hope. Hallelujah. And even, you know, insurance companies, you go to get insurance, and all they want to talk about is floods and hurricanes. What do they call them? Acts of God. You go to a funeral, somebody dies. God took them, bless God. They were only 32, but he needed another angel up there, and basically he killed them and brought them up there, and now heaven's just rejoicing and having a wonderful time. All that is just a bunch of stuff, praise God. Hallelujah. You're allowed to live as long as you want to live, according to the Bible that I read. It says 70 years in the time, but you can live longer than that until you're fulfilled, until your purpose is done. You can stay here if you want to. And if you want to go after that, praise God, I think you can go after that. Glory to God. So the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, God sent Jesus to give us life and life more 
abundantly. Hallelujah. So if you know that bad things that are trying to come on your family or tried against your family or against you, they're of the devil. So what do I want to do with them? I want to resist those things that come. I want to resist that worried thought that continues to come back. I want to resist fear as it tries to get in my life. I want to get fear off my children if it gets on my children. And you can do that as a parent, man. You've got authority over your kids. And I can remember one time we went to, uh, went to Disney World where I think most of the demons hang out. <laughs> And while we were up there, we were going on some ride, and Josh and Aaron were just little, and basically it was some kind of, it's just a little airplane ride, and it went up and down and went around, didn't even go around fast, and we're going up and down and all around and everything else, I turn around, and, and Josh is just like this. I'm saying, what the heck? I mean, this ride stinks as far as I'm concerned, you know, and, and I just reached back, because I was in a thing in front of him, and I said, get off of him. And all, once it left, and then when he got done, he wanted to go on the thing again. Well, what happened? Something registered fear in his life, and he was afraid on that thing. That was a spirit influence in his life that had to be removed. The Bible says God has not given you a spirit of what? Fear. Of fear. So there is a spirit of fear, basically. There's different spirits and demons out there, and they're basically there to try to influence you in your life, and especially in your thought life, so it doesn't line up with God. All right, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians chapter 6. All right, look at verse 19. It says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are whose? So your body actually belongs to who? It belongs to God, don't it? Why? Because God bought your body with a price because he needed your body here on the earth realm with you in your body so you could enforce the things and enforce basically things against demonic spirits and against the devil so you could rule and reign down here. You are a temple or the house of God. You are not your own. You have been bought with a price and now you legally belong to God. You are God's property. Say, I am, I am. God's property. So when I started thinking about this and worry would try to come into my life, I'd simply say, get off God's property. Get out of here in the name of Jesus. When fear came, I said, you're trespassing. You need to get out of here. This is God's body and there's no fear allowed. I got one of these wire fences out there and whenever you get close to it, you get zapped. So you've got to get out of here. So what was I doing? Protecting God's body and actually my body at the same time, which was important to me. And I was doing that so that I could walk in the things of God. So you need to learn how to resist the wiles of the devil. How I many you know he's got wiles? He's got ways to try to sneak into your life. Say, I am the temple of God. I've been bought with a price. I am God's property. I will not allow the thief to steal, kill, or destroy sickness and disease, worry and fear, bad attitudes, bad days are out of my life forever. I choose to live in life and life abundantly. All right, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, look at verse 4. It says, In whom the little G-O-D God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, unless the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Here Satan is called the God, little g-o-d, of this world. 
He is the author of all misery and sorrow, pain, sickness, death itself, and his chief desire is to destroy human life. Here it says, how does he do it? He blinds the minds of them that believe not. What's he trying to do? He's trying to keep people in unbelief so they do not receive the benefits that Jesus Christ paid for. If you take salvation, sooner or later you had to get a revelation that Jesus bought and paid for your salvation, and then you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Do you know there's a lot of people out there who haven't did that yet? And the only reason why they did that because he's blinded their minds from salvation. Many of them couldn't care less and many of them are trying to earn their way into salvation. Why? Because their minds have been blinded and they're trying to work their way into salvation. So he's an expert at blinding the minds of those that believe not. The Bible talks about two kingdoms, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. What is a kingdom of darkness? It is a kingdom of ignorance. The more ignorant he can keep people, the better off he does in his kingdom. And once you get born again, he's still fighting you. What for? To keep you ignorant of the things that belong to you. He don't care if you get born again, don't do absolutely nothing for 50 years, die and go to heaven. He could care less. When you start messing with his kingdom, messing with his work, messing with his stuff, that's when he gets a little bit upset. So basically it's ignorance that causes them. And he's the one who blinds the minds of them that believe not. All right, go to Matthew 13. All right, Matthew chapter 13, look at verse 19. Jesus once again is speaking. He says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and understands it not, then comes the wicked one and catches away that that was sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. Here the devil and the demons are called the wicked one. Say wicked one. Now, if you've ever had a candle, you've ever seen a wick, it's twisted around and around and around and around. Basically, it's twisted. It's a twisted thing. Well, what he wants to do is keep your thought life twisted so that you cannot think clearly on the things of God or the will of God in your life. So here it says, what happens when you hear the gospel of what? The kingdom. Not the gospel of anything else. When you hear the gospel of the kingdom of God, he shows up. What for? He wants to steal what was sown in your heart. Why? Because if he doesn't steal the seed that was sown in your heart, the seed's going to grow in your heart, and pretty soon you're going to remove the blindness in your eyes, basically, to things of the kingdom of God. You know, the the Bible says, whatever you sow, you reap. Well, the devil knows that. So if something good's sown, he don't want you to have that. Now, how many know he's trying to sow things in your life, too? He's trying to solve different things and different ideas, different stuff from media, from everything else. Why? Because he knows the same thing. Seed, plant, and harvest. All right, chapter 13, look at verse 39. It says, the enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end and the world and the reapers are the angels. So here he's called the enemy. Say the enemy. I mean, you know, he's an enemy of yours. The devil is an enemy. This word here means he's the accuser. He's a defamer. He's the slanderer. The devil is your enemy. He's not your friend. He's not your buddy. He's not a cute little Halloween costume with a pitchfork. He is your enemy. The devil accuses the believer to the believer to keep the believer guilty and also condemned. You can see his influence on people who are always judging themselves. 
never measure up to themselves. So there's the same people that are also criticizing others. Because if you can't measure up to yourself, you certainly can't have anybody else measure up. Because if they measure up and you're not, then you look even worse. So you hope everybody's doing just a little bit worse than you are. Hallelujah. So what is it? It's guilt. It's condemnation that he comes to keep you in. When you sin, how many of you know the word says if, you're, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. People say, you'll run into people all the time and they'll say, I'm just so guilty. I'm just such a fool. I just said, well, what did you do? And, and they tell me what they did three years ago. And I say, well, did you confess your sin? Oh yeah, I confessed it, but I still feel guilty. I still feel like I condemned. I said, well, it's not according to feelings. It's according to the word of God. He didn't say, if you confess your sins, you'll feel anything. He said, he will forgive you those things. So even though they acted on the word of God, he kept them guilty for two, three years, basically simply because because they couldn't believe the word that God actually forgave them because what they did thought was absolutely horrid. How many know you can't do anything new that God hasn't seen yet? I think he's pretty much saw it all. So he's not going to fall off his throne when you do something in your life. He'll be able to handle it. He'll be able to forgive you on it. So here basically it says an accuser, a defamer, and a slanderer. All right, go to 1 Peter chapter 5. All right, 1 Peter chapter 5, look at verse 8. It says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, notice an adversary, he is an adversary, he is an enemy, he is wicked. Adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, does not say he is one. It says, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Here it says the devil is your adversary. He is as a roaring lion. He isn't one, and he's seeking whom he may devour. Now, who do you think he can devour? Someone who's got seed into their thought life, who are believing things that are not of God, that of the enemy, and those things continue to grow and grow and grow and grow. And a lot of times, even when the devil speaks to you things, if you're not around people who know how to talk and know how to think, they will confirm what the devil's been telling you. You know, I'm just no good. I just can't do anything. I can't. I know, brother, you've been trying for a long time. You're right. You just can't do anything. Everything you try to do is, and pretty soon you've got people talking into your life, and that's what's that seed doing the whole time. It's growing. It's growing. It's growing. People don't commit suicide the first day. There's thoughts there. No good. Not going to get any better. What am I doing here? Blah, 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 blah. And it keeps going, keeps going, keeps meditating on to get to the place where, where it manifests, basically. Well, it's the same way. He's coming to attack your thought life to tell you he's the adversary. He comes as a roaring lion. And notice, he wants to devour. Say devour. devour. Now, how many know when you devour, you use your mouth. When he devours, he uses his mouth. He speaks, he talks, he shows, he like, gets you to watch things you don't really need to watch. He gets you to sow wrong things into your thought life, how bad things are. If you come to a place and you're really walking in the kingdom of God, one thing I found out that definitely changed in my life is I see God in everything. Before that, I saw bad, ugly, terrible, this, that, and it was. But once I started seeing God in everything... Even if it's something that people say, I can't believe people are watching this or watching that and this and that. And for some reason, I see God in the thing somehow, even though it probably shouldn't be watched, but I can still see God's work in there and what it's doing. So basically, you'll start seeing and looking for God in every single thing that happens in your life. You know, we sang, just sang the song tonight that God's working, you know, all the time. 
He's always working in your life. You may not feel it. You may not be able to see it, but you will see it sooner or later because God is working in different areas of your life all the time. All right, go to Revelations chapter 20. All right, Revelations 20, look at verse 2. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. Here it calls him the dragon, the old serpent, the devil. Dragon, old serpent, and devil, or he calls him Satan. Now, all those things, if you think about those things, none of them make anything beautiful about that creature. Ugly and wicked and terrible. So basically here he's called a dragon. And how many of you know he has helpers? It's not just him, but he has demons who also come and help him. Let's look at that while we're there. Go to Revelations chapter 12, I think it is. All right, where is it? 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 There's a verse in Revelations that talks about the dragon once again. And it. What is it? Yes. Uh, yep, that's it. Look at verse 4. And his tail, thanks Wendy, and his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and cast him to the earth. Now you know what that's interpreted as? It's interpreted as that when he fell from heaven, he took one third of the angels with him, basically who were conspiring with him or supporting him in heaven. So one third of the angels, here it says the stars, were thrown down to earth when he was thrown down to earth. And they are what's known as now demons. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. I'll look at this if I can find the rest of the scriptures. All right, Hebrews chapter 12, look at verse 22. It says, But you are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. How many angels? How many? How many is that? <laughs> so we know that the enemy took one third of an innumerable number of angels who are now demons, and we are left with two thirds of an innumerable number of angels who basically help and support us. Praise God. All right, go to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, look at verse 13. But to which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? And they, are they not all ministering spirits, talking about angels, and they're sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of 
salvation. Now that's good news, isn't it? It's good to have two thirds of the innumerable number of angels on my side who are there and notice what they're ministering. We are the heirs of salvation. What do they do? They try to make sure that you get everything that Jesus paid for in your life and make sure you receive everything as an heir of God. All right, go to Psalm 91. I think someday when we die and go to heaven, we're going to find how much work the angels were actually doing in our life, and we never had any idea what the heck was going on. I'm just glad we got two-thirds instead of one-third. All right, Psalm 91, let's look at verse 11. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all of your what? They shall bear thee up up in their hands, lest you should dash your foot against a stone. Now here's protection, isn't it? Angels are there to protect you. That's one of their jobs, is basically to make sure that you're free from harm and nothing happens to you. Angels are spirit beings. We have two-thirds of an innumerable number there. Go to Psalm 34. Psalm 34, look at verse 7. It says, The angel of the Lord encamps round about them that fear him and delivers them. Here's the work of an angel again. He's there with you. He's by you. You may not see him, but they are around you. There's some in this room right now. What are they there? For protection for you. They are there to bring your inheritance to you. They are there basically to respond to the things of God in our life, help fight spiritual battles. All right, one more. Go to Psalm 103 while we're in Psalms. All right, here's the key, Psalm 103, verse 20. Bless the Lord, ye his angels that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his what? Word. So how are angels basically led or controlled here in the earth? They're led by the voice or the word of God. That doesn't mean God speaking it necessarily. It means what you are speaking on a daily basis will either allow angels into your life or not allow angels to act in your life. Basically, angels will do whatever you tell them to do. If you're talking doubt and unbelief, you know, we're going out today, but chances are we're going to get another car wreck. We always get in a car wreck. We almost die every time we go out. The angels step back and said, I don't know why they want to get in a car wreck. I just really don't understand what we were sent here to protect them. And they're out there talking about a car wreck. So what you're speaking out your mouth, and it's more than just say, angels help me every time you get in a predicament. It's the way you continually talk and continually speak, whether you're speaking in line with the word of God or not. I'm just so afraid too. Those are ugly words. I'm so afraid to do this. I'm so afraid to do that. I'm so afraid to do this. Don't talk like that, praise God. That's not God talk. And you want the angels to be with you all the time. They're for protection. They're for things. So it's a daily conversation, what we talk about. That's why you've got to keep fear, worry, and stuff out of your mouth, basically, because you shut down the angels who are there to help you. All right, go back to John chapter 8.
All right, John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus once again says, You are of your father, the devil, and the lusts of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Once again, this is basically talking about Satan. He is a liar and he is a murderer. He is the father of all lies. I would say in my lifetime, this is the closest we've ever come to not having a whole lot of truth in the world today. Everything seems to be a lie or what people call fake. Fake news, fake this, fake that. Even between Christians themselves, I'll be honest with you, I have done business with Christians simply because there are Christians, and I'm sorry I did sometimes. Sometimes the people in the world did me better than the Christians did because they didn't keep their word, they didn't keep their price, they didn't do what I wanted them to do, but because they were Christians, they thought they could get away with something. Well, that's an idea for you to be better than everybody else. So whatever you say, you need to come. If you tell somebody you're coming over at 6 o'clock, you need to get your buns up and you need to be there by 6 o'clock. If you're not going to, you need to call them and tell them you're going to be there at 6.03 or whatever. Why is that? We don't want to lie. We don't want to say one thing and do another thing. That's not the way the kingdom of God works and that's not the way we work. That's the way the devil works, basically. Oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Never do it. Never, never even tempt to do it. And sometimes when you say you're going to do it, you know, even when you say it, you're not going to do it. Sometimes the devil don't even have to talk you out of it. He just gets you into lying so you get people off your back, basically. Well, you need to come over. You need to come over. All right, I'll be over. I ain't going over there. I'll tell you that right now. You know what I mean? I'm going over there. <laughs> See, so you use, you use the lie basically to get out of your situation so you don't have to argue with anybody or do anything anymore. You can't do that. See, that's the father of lies who's doing that. And right now, you know, back in the old days, it was a good old handshake. And now you've got to have 14 contracts and 13 lawyers and, and 42 other people in order just to get a pool put in at this point. Well, it shouldn't be that way. See, it wasn't that way in the old days. Things are changing. People are no longer sticking to their word. What is that? There's a demonic influence in people's lives, basically, who think that kind of stuff is okay, and it's not. And it starts small, and once again, it grows. All right, go to Matthew chapter 4. All right, Matthew chapter 4, look at verse 1. Then was Jesus led up into the spirit and the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward a hungered. And when the tempter, the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread. Here we can see once again, he's known as the tempter. What does he do? He tempts you to do things. He tempts you. Most of the time, he tempts you to not believe what God has just told you. Most times he gets you to try to not believe what the good word has already said to you. Notice how Jesus fought him. Verse 4, and he answered and said, it is written, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of who? So notice he fought him with the word of God, didn't he? He knocked down the unbelief that was trying to come to him. I mean, God already said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The devil comes right along and says, if you be the son of God, the devil will always put an if in your believer if he can. He needs to do that. And everybody gets tempted. I talk to people all the time. They think they're the only one in the world the demons are after and they're tempting and everybody else is fine. That's just not true. People may look fine, but temptation comes to every single person who's born again 
and living in the kingdom of God. There is a temptation for you to get sick. There's a temptation for you to get down. If you're in the ministry, there's constant temptation for you to quit. There's temptation for you to get depressed. There's temptation for you to go into self-pity. There's temptation telling you that you're not effective in anything you're doing. After you preach a sermon, there's a temptation that nobody listened and everybody slept during it anyway. There's a temptation that what you said you shouldn't have said and what you did say you could have said and, and you should have said more than you did said and said and, and before long you're so confused you're ready to quit the ministry. Praise God. What is that? That's attacks that come upon you when you're preaching the word of God. They come on everybody. Just not everybody talks about them all the time. You know, what good is it going to do me to get up and say, I just got up this morning and I'm just so depressed and I just don't know if I got a word for you or I don't have a word for you. I'm hoping to God I have a word for you, but you never know what God's going to do. Praise God. So just pray for me, everybody now. And I'm my God, before that's over with, you'll all need deliverance. It's just what happens. It's your way of life. There's a temptation all the time to do this stuff. It looks like some people aren't being tempted, but they are. You've got to get to the point where you knock that thing down immediately and not meditate on it for two days and then try to get it out of there. It's a seed and it will grow. So praise God. It's time for you to quit. No, I ain't quitting. Praise God. I was called to do this. Glory to God. I'm going to call to do this. Nobody likes you. I don't care. Jesus likes me. That's enough for me right now. Praise God. I don't really care. Maybe somebody will like me later on. You know, maybe I'll do something right. Who ever knows? Praise God. So it's all part of the battle that everybody goes through in their life. Hallelujah. And one thing you've got to be careful of, there's a lot of ways it can be done. I'll tell you, Facebook can become offensive. I'm not on Facebook very often except to share what she gives me an opportunity to share because that's the only reason I know how to share it is because she shares it for me to share it. Otherwise, I couldn't even share it. I got to try to share my sermon the other day. I had to go to my wife to figure out how to share the thing. I wasn't tagged or whatever in the thing. But you can be in a spot too where, there were, you, know, you do this on Facebook and four people okay it and share it and then next time they do it and 100 people do it and now you're mad because you think everybody loves that person more than you love the other person and blah, 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 blah. I got 200 shares and 400 likes and who cares for God's sakes. If that's going to affect you, get off the stupid thing, would you? Share whatever you're able to share and run. Glory to God. Stick it out there and run someplace. Here it is. Here's my sermon. I'm running, praise God. I don't care if everybody puts it they hate it. I'm not going to look at it anymore. Why is that? I got enough stuff coming at me without adding to it through this stuff, praise God. And I know people are doing that. I know they're getting offended by it, looking at it, and that's why I don't do nothing. God forbid I'd like somebody's and not somebody else's for God. Did you see what Pastor did? He liked yours, and he never even commented on mine. Well, it probably took me four days to comment on theirs, much less try to comment on another one. See, I'm not going to get in the middle of that stuff. I'm not going to do it, praise God. I'm glad you're sharing stuff. I'm sure it's good. It's wonderful. And whatever I get tagged in, I'll share. And other than that, praise God, just forget about it. Praise God. Hallelujah. That's the way we do it. All right, go to Matthew chapter 12. Oh, they put a like instead of a heart. Oh, my God. Here, Lord Jesus. All right, Matthew chapter 12. Look at verse 24. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. Notice he's called here the prince of devils. The word prince here means the commander-in-chief of all demons. He is basically the boss, the big man, the top CEO. Whatever you want to call him, that's who he is. He is the prince the commander-in-chief 
All right, go to John 14. All right, John 14, look at verse 30. Jesus says, Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world comes, and he has nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the Father, as the Father has given me the commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go hence. Here he calls him the prince of this world, and he had nothing in Jesus. Now, do you think he tried to get some stuff into Jesus? Of course he did. I mean, think about it. If you were called and you knew you were called to go to the cross, get nailed to the cross, get beat and stripped, I mean, you know, that'd be on your mind. It's enough just to have to go to the dentist in two weeks. Isn't it? I mean, you're worried about, oh my God, this, oh Lord, have mercy. And all, but he was going to the cross. So you know there was, that's what the agony in the garden was all about. He was being hit in the thought life. What for? Trying to be talked out of what he knew he should do. And that's why the devil came to him and says, hey, you bow down to me and I'll give you all authority just like you wanted under me. And how many know that was a temptation? I think I'd have said, okay, praise God, that's better than going to the cross. Heck with it. But no, he's the prince. He is the prince of this world. All right, look at John chapter 12. John chapter 12, look at verse 31. It says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And if I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Once again, he's called the prince of this world. He's basically prophesying about the day that the devil will be thrown out of heaven once and for all. After Jesus suffers and dies on the cross, carries his blood in there and kicks Satan out. So he's the God of this world, he's the prince of this world, but notice he's the God and the prince of darkness, not of born-again Christians. You have authority over him. All right, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, look at verse 3. It says, But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind shall be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Here, once again, it's talking about the devil. What did he do? He beguiled Eve through simplicity. Say simplicity. He beguiles you simplicity. He does not come to you with some outrageous thought that he knows you're going to cast aside. He starts easy and slow, giving you something that dilutes the truth that you may be able to handle. Then he adds to it and adds to it and adds to it and adds to it. You know, he just goes a little bit at a time and he's been doing it for a lot of years. So he knows how to do it. He will justify things that you do that you knew were wrong, but when you did them and now they're justified and maybe you should have got away with it. You know. Like I told, told you the one day, you go to the grocery store and you give them $20 and they're supposed to give you $17 back and they give you $25 back. 
and you walk out and say, oh, my God, they gave me $8 too much. I should go in there and do that. Oh, no, you should. You need $8. You've been praying, and God's blessed you now. He's given you eight extra dollars to put into your thing. And you say, well, yeah, that's really true. I've been praying, and God moves in mysterious ways, and his wonders never cease. And You never know what God's going to do, praise God. So maybe he did do that. Maybe, maybe if I sow this $8 in the offering, that will produce more. And what's he doing? He's working on your mind. You know at the beginning what you should do. But if you start rationalizing a little bit and thinking about it a little, it doesn't sound like such a bad idea anymore. And then you do it more and more and it grows on the inside of you. So he's after your thought life. Say he's after my thought life. All right, let's just go to Ephesians chapter 6. There's Satan, the devil, and there's also different ranks, basically, of spirits. You can study them if you would like. It takes quite a while to do it and a lot of study. And I just know they're there, so I've never really studied it. Ephesians chapter 6, look at verse 11. Tells you to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the what? Wiles. Wiles, Tricks, trades. Whenever I see wiles, I always think of uh, the road runner. Remember that? He always had a wily thing, but it never worked out. And that's the way the devil should be. Every time he comes to you with a wile, he should end up getting hit with a hammer or something before it's over with. Praise God. All right, verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, Against the rulers of what? Darkness of this world. You're not living in darkness of this world, hopefully. You're in the light as he is in the light. And against spiritual wickedness where? In high places. There's the rank of demonic spirits. Those are the different demon spirits, different ranks, different things. He has a a plan. How many of you know that? A real life plan, basically against everybody's life that he's trying to figure out how to do something in your life. All right, we got time. Just go to Mark chapter 1. That's too long. Go to Mark chapter 5. We're going to look at some of these next week about some of the things that happened in Jesus' day and explain some things about it. All right, Mark chapter 5. Let's just start in verse 1 and read through it first. Talking about Jesus' and disciples, and they came over unto the other side of the sea, unto the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. I mean, no, that's supernatural power. Verse 5, and always night and day he was in the mountains, and he was in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and he worshipped him. And he cried with a loud voice and said, What have I do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou hast tormented me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send him them away out of the country. And there was there nigh unto the mountain a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea, and they were about 2,000, and they were choked into the sea. Hallelujah. This is pretty interesting, isn't it? 
One thing that you can do in these things is you can actually meditate on these things, put yourself in the situation, and you'll seem to get more out of it than if you just read over it. In other words, it's like you were there. Now, since the enemy wants a human body, basically, for expression, he's always looking to get in someone, and, you know, it's a subtle, it's not a subtle thing, it's a little bit at a time where he continues to work on them until he can actually take possession of that person. Jesus went about here, he came, and this demon spirit came up to him, and the first thing the demons did was worship him. One thing the devil will do, he will fake worship sometimes. He will fake like he's Jesus' buddy, Jesus' partner. He's with Jesus. Don't cast me out because I'm with Jesus. But notice once again, he was lying in this situation. He had supernatural power because in the man whom he was in, he was breaking fetters and chains. They were locking him up. Now, how many know if you had somebody like this, you wouldn't have to use a whole lot of discernment to understand that he may have a demon problem. You know, I mean, I don't know what kind of disease there is out there for people running around naked in tombstones cutting themselves, but I can't think of any. So basically it shows you that there was a demon situation here. And notice he spoke to the demons and he told them that he was going to cast them out. Also notice here that they want to possess something. They want to possess some kind of body, so they asked to go inside of what? Pigs. But notice, even when they were granted to go inside of pigs, They still ran down and killed the body that they wanted to be in because all they can do is kill, steal, and destroy. Otherwise, they would get in a human and get in a pig and be happy there and stay there and hope that everything worked out, but not. They destroy what they get in, then they've got to go looking for something else to try to destroy to have a place to be. And notice what the pigs did. They ran down and they drowned into the sea, basically. So here, basically, when I saw this thing, Jesus said uh, something about who's in there, how many of you in there? And I think the demons probably said, we are many. Because they're really bold. We are many. And Jesus simply said, come out. I don't think he said, come out. I don't think he said, come out. I just think he said, come out. And how many of you know they did? Because sometimes when you're dealing with evil spirits, they will talk to you. We'll cover some of this next week. How many know they can talk out of someone else's body? They can talk and use their vocal cords to do that kind of stuff. But once again, you have nothing to be afraid of. And that's what they want to feast on. They want to make you afraid of what's going on and what's happening. And, and Hollywood has helped them quite a bit with that and to get them to that place. So basically, you've got to come to a place where you know that you've got authority over evil spirits and over these things, no matter what they say. One of their favorite ones whenever I've dealt with a demon was, I'm going to kill you. 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 There's a few people where they said, I'm going to kill them, who they were in. And I was thinking that might not be a bad idea. (laughs) You know, the thought runs through your mind. Well, that'd make this a lot easier, for God's sake, sometimes for it to work. But no, there's threats there. I'm going to kill you. I don't like you. You're no good. You you can't do anything. All these things, negative things that come to try to break you down to get to a place, let you think on something else. And the longer you give them to talk, the longer they get a chance to talk, basically. So you don't want to do that. You want to get it over with. Praise God. You want to use your authority. You want to run it out. Jesus said, I adjure thee, basically. And notice what they said, torment me not. And they say, because the day has not come. How many of you know they know a day is coming? And I mean, that's going to be a scary time, isn't it? It's going to be a place that talks about where they're going to be cast into the lake of fire for how long? For eternity, forever and ever and ever and ever. So they know their day's coming, and as days get shorter, there's going to be more demon attitudes. There's going to be more demon influence in the realms, basically, because they know that their time is short. Those demons will try to bargain with you. 
You know, we'll just leave us in here another week. She doesn't deserve it. Blah, 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 blah. And all these things happen. Now, this isn't every time. And let me say this. Every time you get in a spot where you get in doubt and unbelief or whatever, it does not mean you're demon-possessed. There's the influence of the demons and there's demon possession. They're two different things. There's more people who are influenced by devils than who are demon-possessed. And that influence can be broken off them. A spirit of fear or something like that can be broken off very simple by simply telling it to go. People who are depressed, it's very simple. You just tell it to go. And basically, it usually goes very simple. Now, somebody who's demon-possessed is a little bit different. There's some different things you've got to do and know how to handle those situations. But basically what happened here was Jesus, you know, the guy ran up to him. The guy was messed up. And basically sometimes even when you, when you want to take a relative to a Holy Ghost meeting or Holy Ghost meetings that I've been in in some places, sometimes demons will manifest right in the middle of the service. Why is that? Because they know there's people in there who are going to cast them out and challenge them. There's people that you try to bring to church who really need to come to church but won't come to church and they always say they're going to come to church but at the last minute they don't come to church. Why is that? Because what's in them knows what's going to happen if they show up around the right person so they don't want to go there basically and there's a fight and a struggle to get them there. Are you following me? So basically it manifests demons. You know, Jesus, Jesus had some demons manifest basically in the church. How many of you know that? He was in the synagogue sometimes and a man cried out with an unclean spirit at that time. So basically there's demonic things that happen, but your job is to just keep yourself free from the influence of spiritual entities, especially demons. I mean, you want angel activity in your you want Holy Ghost activity in your life, but you've got to use your thought life to keep those things out of your life. And you know what comes from God if he's a good God, and you know what comes from the devil, basically, if he's a bad devil. All right, one more. Go to Luke chapter 8. Did you put your Bible away, James? never know. You never know. <laughs> All right, Luke chapter 8. Let's start in verse 1. And it came to pass afterward that he went throughout every city and village preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. And certain women which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went, how many? Seven devils. So here's a lady basically who, who Jesus ran into and cast seven devils out of her. Look at verse 3. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others, which ministered unto him of their what? Substance. Now this, this tells me, maybe, in my own opinion, that if you have a church where people are getting free, you'll never have financial difficulties because you're getting people free, and it always causes them to want to give when they've been set free. If you've got a church that don't get anybody free, you better sell coffee cups, you better sell something else, <laughs> because nobody cares to give into your ministry whatsoever, and you're going to last about six weeks. It doesn't work that way. When people get results, people give. How many of you know that? The Bible says if you give, they receive, and then they give to you. So here was people who went along and supported his ministry. People say, where did Jesus get his money? Well, there's part of it right there, isn't it? There are some people who had money. They got delivered. They followed around, and they, and they provided for him and his disciples. Praise God. Hallelujah. All right. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. I thank you, Lord, that 
For clear minds, sound minds tonight, I thank you, Father, that I rate our guns up with the Holy Spirit on the inside of us, that we block and we, we bind and we cast out any kind of thought that tries to come against us is not of you. Father, we agree tonight that you are a good God in everything, and we receive everything good and everything that comes to our minds that's going to cause any kind of feelings or emotional issues. Basically, we block them in the name of Jesus and take authority over them. We thank you for defeating the devil 2,000 years ago and giving us the privilege of walking on him every single day, and we give you the glory for it in Jesus' name and everybody's said, Amen. Amen.